On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Grindhouse Girls friends and fam. A baby girl was born in 1946, shortly after the end of World War II. She is born to older parents. Her mother is 42 and her father is 46. She is their only child. Her father, a chemist of Czech Jewish origin, only survived because his job was considered valuable to the German war effort. He will later pass away in 1969 in a mental hospital. Her mother, from a well-to-do Catholic family, wanted her daughter to be a musical prodigy. The relationship between mother and daughter was strained, but the young woman would go on to study at the Vienna Conservatory. After graduating with an organist degree, she would go on to study art history and theater, but would later have a breakdown due to an anxiety disorder that would leave her isolated for almost a whole year. At this point, she would start writing seriously as a form of therapy. Years later, in her late 30s, she would also write about a woman in her late 30s, much like her and yet also so different. A piano teacher dominated by a mother who is both emotionally and sexually repressed. This novel, which would go on to be titled The Piano Teacher, would be suggested to filmmaker Mikkel Hanukkah to adapt with a few conditions, but one main condition. That actress Isabel Huppet would be cast in the main role. After finding the story interesting because it was very psychological and secondly because it made extremely complex observations about society, he agreed to these conditions. The film adaptation went on to become a major critical success, winning multiple accolades, but most notably Best Actor, Best Actress, and the Grand Prix at Cannes Film Festival. Of course, we are talking about the 2001 film The Piano Teacher, based on the novel. The Piano Teacher, written by Elfrida Jelinek and is streaming on HBO Max. So sit back and don't go sniffing those used tissues. This is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. Hey, I'm Katie. And hi there, I'm Brittany. And we are discussing The Piano Teacher! The erotic Yay. thriller. It is a very erotic thriller. <laughs> it's very yes. erotic. I... <laughs> What was one of the taglines of this movie was like it was perversion at its like dirtiest or something, and I was like that is so not what this movie is about. And to me, like I don't think it's about perversion. I think perversion is like it's a it's a a result of other things going on. You know what I think is really and I think it's really interesting too because Elfried uh, literally made the comment in an interview I read. She said. She's like, Erica, the protagonist, she's like, Erica's not crazy. She's neurotic, but she's not crazy. And I'm like, I can, I can get that. There's a lot of psychology and that goes into this though. Like a lot of psychology. There is. Oh, I'm sorry. I finally found, I knew I'd written down the tagline. I think in America was perversion at its wicked best, which was probably to capitalize on some of the more sexual things in this movie. But I guess before... That sounds really weird. Yeah. Also, the German name of the book, which is actually The Piano Player, Die Klaverspielerin, or The Piano Player, which ah. I've 
it's just a very long name. But before we go into that, I think we probably need to talk a little bit about the Oscars because the Oscars were the other week and we watched it live. Oh yeah, so Sunday, so just the day before yesterday, if you can yes. believe it, it feels like it feels like a lifetime ago. But it was this past Sunday. It's been a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it was a record-breaking show in that. So Ariana DeBose was the first openly queer woman of color to win a acting award. She won for Best Supporting Actor yes. for Anita and West Side Story. Troy Kultzer was the second deaf actor to ever win an yep. acting award and first male Frank deaf actor Coda. yes cool yeah because Marlene Maiton plays his wife in Coda mm-hmm. and she was the very first in 1986 for Children of a Lesser God mm-hmm. so yeah we were I, I thought that was really wicked cool to see it was and cool. Kenneth Branagh won for original screenplay for Belfast yeah. yes he finally and won eight nominations later. <laughs> he finally won. Yeah. I told you he was going to win screenplay. I think I said, I think oh, he was my pick. No, I, but, or he I was think my, we both agreed on that. Yeah, I don't think we could really figure out. I was like, eh, either he's going to win or there was another one that I, oh, the worst person in the world I also wanted to win. But that's okay. They, which didn't yeah. end up winning anything, which made me kind of sad. But Drive My Car did win Best International. And I really like Drive My Car. So mm-hmm. that's cool. It's really, really cool. I think we agreed that Belfast was going to... We agreed Belfast would win the original. And mm-hmm. then we both said the worst person in the world could also be that second place. Mm-hmm. So it was either going to be Belfast or worst person. But it was Belfast. And my girl... Or our girl, Jessica Chastain, finally won Best mm. Actress. Which she was my Best yes. Actress. And we're not going to discuss the uh, incident because the three people involved, if you saw it, you know what we're talking about. The three people involved seem to be moving past it. And I don't think, Brittany and I talked about it earlier, it's not really our lane to talk about that. But it did make it a very memorable night. And they they yeah. were up like, I think, 56% in viewership from last year. Um, but that's uh, initial I think numbers. No, 56 yeah, is the I initial numbers according to the Philip DeFranco show, but he said it's probably actually more because that's just their initial numbers. Okay, and I read a, I was reading an article that was 33% the next day. So I'm going to try to figure out which article said it was 33 because 56 is a lot. 33 is a lot. So that's really interesting. I did want to say that Coda as Best Picture was announced by Lady Gaga and the legend Liza Minnelli in a very beautiful moment. Gaga is a class act. I do have I to love say her. that. Well, she's like really close with Tony Bennett too and he's struggling with Alzheimer's and he can't perform anymore. Uh, and I think she really like, I don't think Liza is struggling with so much dementia as just she's had like, she's always had physical ailments. Like, for several years. So, I think it's just deterioration, unfortunately. Wasn't it a weird, and I'm, I could be wrong, Katie. I think it was, she almost died a couple years ago. It was something mm-hmm. like a brain stroke or something to that nature. Yeah, she may and have had it a left her. Yeah, it left her, it, it left her in a wheelchair. I don't think it's called a brain stroke. It was something similar to aneurysm? that. That is just, it was, I don't know if it was an aneurysm. It was some kind of unusual thing I never heard of happening in a person before. But I think she is now in a wheelchair because of it. And at one moment, she said, I think she said, I'm a little confused. And Lady Gaga goes, it's okay, I got you. And I was like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> it, was it almost made me, it made me, I think, tear up a little bit. Because it was like, she said, the people, they love you. It's like, so graceful. And uh, and I wish they actually had dedicated a little bit more time to Eliza. But we did have a very upbeat in memoriam, which I thought was really kind of different and cool. Like, Although they like, skipped Bob sad. Saget. I didn't even notice that. I didn't notice until you know, later. I, I was like, what that. the hell? Wow. Yeah. 
Wow, that's weird. So, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm a little bit like, ooh. Like, I did like the upbeat and I liked the live performance. Not that Billie Eilish singing yesterday wasn't fine. I like Billie Eilish. She won an Academy Award. Good for her and Phineas. Right? That's her brother's yeah. name, right? I think that's your right. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That feels right. <laughs> I, really, I really like Billie Eilish. I, I think she's a really good artist and... I've been listening to Happier Than Ever. I really, 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 really identify with that song a lot. So I really like it. And she's so young, but she's very talented. And she seems, she and Penny seem to be really into the music and not so much into the fame. And I think that's probably why people really like her is because she really is a musician. And yeah, I like sometimes when people are just trying to be famous, you can just see through it and you're like, oh, okay. But like when they really love the music, you're like, this is, this is why you're here. That's great. Like it was nice to have a more upbeat song, but I was, I, I, it was a little distracting though, because they didn't focus on the screen as much and they had people come over live, which when Bill Murray was talking about Ivan Reitman, I teared up, but then also, and when they were talking about Betty White too, but then at the same time, like there were people in between going up that like you kind of missed because of the performance. Yeah. So I kind of wish they had coordinated it a little bit better. Or maybe done a dual screen shot or something so you could see it. And then, yeah. again, they left Bob Saget out, which seemed really weird because he was a really big figure in television. I guess maybe because he's more television than movies? Oh, you know what? I could be wrong. Or do they have a cutoff for deaths? I, I don't think it's that, but wasn't there something? And I, you guys, I'm so sorry in advance. There's so much celebrity news. I don't always keep it straight in my head. But because of the way he passed away, they didn't want his autopsy to be revealed. And I wonder if it was something that the family asked for privacy. Maybe. I don't, I didn't no, read that. they've revealed his autopsy. They still can't figure out exactly what happened. But that's what they released. Like, the autopsy didn't give them any, like, conclusive results. He didn't have drugs in his system. It doesn't seem like he had a heart attack, but he hit his head really hard. Yeah. But, I mean, they released, I read an article about it, so I assume the family's okay with releasing it. I thought there was some controversy where it's like he felt supposedly he had had a minor fall but then the damage to his skull was like as if he fell like a couple stories because that's what i thought i had read i do want to say since you brought um, up bob, real quick katie i didn't mean to interrupt the only reason because you mentioned bob sacker oh yeah they also left out uh norm mcdonald and ed asner they did, why did they leave out ed asner yeah so that's where was he last year though i i, I thought he was very late last year so that's interesting i'll have to thank you for putting out my radar i'm gonna do some more research about yeah, it yeah maybe it's because they were more television actors no because i think but ed was... asner was the voice of up yeah he's <laughs> like, that's like, like up was a oscar-winning movie it was not best it was animated that year it won best animated it was the only second animated film to ever be uh nominated for best picture too i will have to look it up and see if there is a legitimate reason or if someone was lacking this year in the in memoriam so oh jesus okay but you're right roman polanski oh and dune swept yeah oh dune yes dune got the most technical award oh jane campion won no i think you already said jane no i didn't actually i didn't but i love it oh yeah jane campion won yeah third uh, which we both called yes so (laughs) yeah third female director and the sec uh twice in two years now so because chloe zao won last year for nomadland too so we've Mm -hmm. had Two of our yeah. three female directors have won in the last two years, so... <laughs> so that's pretty awesome. Yeah. 
I love Jessica Chastain's speech oh. and Ariana DeBose's speeches the best. Yes. Uh, they both made me tear up a little bit. Uh, Troy's was really touching, too, and how he mentioned how his dad... His was really touching, his too. His dad was the best signer in the family until he uh, was paralyzed from the neck down. I was like, oh, my God. But I learned so much from you, Dad. I was like, I did it. I don't know. It was really sweet. Mm-hmm. It was really sweet. Yeah. And, like, it was, like, I'm so glad he won. He did such a good job. I'm sad, and I wanted Andrew Garfield to win Best Actor, but I expected Will Smith to win. So, and people were like, oh, it's more of a lifetime achievement. But I didn't get to watch King Richard beforehand because I didn't realize how long it was, and I was going to start watching it, and I didn't have enough time to watch it before going to Britney's to watch the Oscars. So I was like, well, I guess I'll watch it on HBO Max. It's still on, so I will eventually watch it. It is a good movie, and Andrew New Ellis, who was also nominated, um, she is incredible in it too so i mean it's a good movie um but before we go on i forgot to do housekeeping because i did mess up in our episode on the oscars i listened to it a couple days ago when it came out and karen olivo who won the tony award for anita on broadway during the revival who also was vanessa in the original in the heights and also played i can't remember which part but she filled in for someone on broadway for hamilton ariana debose also was an ensemble person in hamilton which i did not know yeah recently, the bullet in the yeah the bullet but karen olivo sometime between the last time i read about them and now is non-binary and they go by they them pronouns and i kept saying she so i'm so sorry karen olivo i really like you as a performer and i'm so sorry i didn't read your wikipedia page before mentioning you because i did i did not do that and i'm so sorry and i was so embarrassed when i was listening to it because i just started looking them up and i was like oh shit i'm so sorry but i guess we have to move on to the piano teacher so this was my pick so my journey with mikhail hanukkah which you can say michelle you can say mikhail he is a austrian german director who also makes movies in French and English because uh, the piano teacher is in French. But I first was made familiar with his work in several years ago. The YouTube channel YourMovieSucks.org covered Caché or Hidden as like a underrated horror film. And I was very curious about it because it's about a couple who starts receiving videotapes of their own house and themselves. And they're like, who the fuck is watching us? So it seems really, it's very creepy. It's very unsettling. And I found it at Second Charles and I ended up watching it. And there is one scene that just completely jaw drops me. But the whole film is just really well made. It has Juliette Binoche. Binoche? That sounds right. Am I saying her last name right? That sounds right. From Chocolat. I love her. In it, she's probably one... I feel like she's the most famous. Her and Isabelle Huppé are probably the most famous French actresses of recent years. Like, people actually know who they are. But... Oh, and May Coulthard, too. Yeah, she's also... Yeah. I think she hasn't done as much stuff that I've seen recently, so maybe that's why she slipped my brain. But she is an Academy Award winner, so... But so, I watched Cachet, and I was like, oh, okay, this guy's awesome. And then I watched funny games because it was on criterion and i was disturbed and blown away and then i watched the piano teacher like soon after that i think it was like my even the same weekend i feel like i mentioned it on the podcast and this was like last year and i was like i loved this movie so much it blew me away and i said this when we did coda but coming from a classical music background growing up because my voice teacher was a classically trained pianist and she insisted that i sing classical music and a lot of it was schumann which is a German composer that is talked about a lot in this, not as much as Schubert. So anyways, I love 
the music in this film. I love that it's diegetic, that there is like no music. There's no background music. He refuses to use orchestrations because he finds that it cheapens what's happening and he doesn't want to manipulate his audience but with music. But he will use music if it's like in the actual environment happening and everyone actually played the piano. So Michael Hanukkah is just a really cool director. He did win Best International Feature for Amour. Yes. Which is not his most recent, but I think it's like second to last one that he's done. And he has worked with Isabel Huppé several times. Yes. But this was their first time working together and it is so memorable. And I love it because she didn't really read the script fully. <laughs> When she first accepted it, because she originally was, he wanted her to be the mother in Funny Games. She said, no, I, I, I can't do that. And so the woman that, who was cast, who did an amazing job, um, who was also in The Piano Teacher as a minor part, which we'll, we'll uh, mention her later. She didn't want to do Funny Games. And then they're supposed to do another movie. And then the funding fell through. So they didn't do that one together. And then he was like, I cannot get this movie made if you are not in it. You have to be in it. And she said, okay. Because she read the script and she liked it, but she wasn't really, like, she didn't really read it until she was on the plane ride to Vienna. And then she was like, oh shit, I did not realize what this script entailed. But she was like, but it was too late. So because I'd already accepted it and I was on the plane. So that's how I ended up doing it. So I just, I love this movie so much. I'm sorry, I'm talking about it a lot. But yeah, but he's really cool. He's really cool. What was your favorite thing? What's your favorite thing about Hanukkah or most interesting So I did want to tell you because I watched The Piano Teacher on March 23rd, so the day after I came back home, and I was looking at his Wikipedia page afterwards, and so I actually saw The Piano Teacher on his 80th birthday, which I thought... Oh, happy birthday. Which I thought was really, really cool. And I thought it was interesting. He made his feature film debut in 1989 with the film The Seventh Continent, so he actually got his start Mm -hmm. later in life as a film director, so I thought that was very inspiring because now people know his movies, so the first Hanukkah movie I've seen was Funny Games and I actually saw the shot by shot remake he did with Nomi Watts and Tim Roth and it fucked with me really really badly like if oh yeah like if you guys see especially the ending of the movie because it's so jarring but I did seek out so about 10 years ago now when Amour was nominated for Best International Film as well as Best Picture that year for the 2012 Academy Awards I did seek it out and I watched it in a theater largely by myself I had no one with me and there's like five other people in the theater. So Emel Riva is the oldest actress ever nominated for an Oscar for Best Actor. She was 84 when she did Amour. And she is phenomenal in that movie. And Isabel Hubert actually plays their daughter in that film. And Amour, guys, I thought it was a phenomenal movie, but it, it hurt me so bad and affected me so deeply. I haven't seen it again and I don't know if I ever will watch it again. Um, and I do think his It's more is, emotional. yeah. I do think his movies have this effect on people sometimes. So. Well, he's unflinchingly honest. But, you know, I feel like a lot of French directors are unflinchingly honest. Like Julia with Titan and Ra, I feel like, is also very honest and unflinching. But I will say with him, there's an emotional rawness. Yeah to his movies where there's just stuff that gets under your skin or it's just so relatable that you're just like, oh, fuck. Like, even this movie, like, I don't have... There's stuff about Erica and her relationship with Walter, which I would love that his name is Walter, that gets under my skin and reminds me of my own life and my own relationships. And, I mean, not exactly, but, like, there's stuff about it that I'm just like, oh, 
Oh, but like a more is about like a like a elderly couple caring for one another. Oh, when one of them um, has a stroke. Yes, I do that's believe that's correct. I think the thing about more why it captured like because I think all of his movies have become big around the world, but I think what kind of elevated more was that we see so many love stories that are at the beginning of a love story or in the middle of a love story, yeah. and we very rarely see something at the end of a love story. And it's always stuck with me after I saw more years later, I came across an article about it. And the person who wrote the article uh, said, I have a hard time watching a film that's so clearly an advert for human euthanasia. And that has stuck with me all these years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, I will say, uh, if you ever see his, I'm sure you saw this, but his acceptance speech for the Oscars, I watched it recently, and he likes his beautiful wife. Yeah. He's like, you've been with me, my, you're my support. I was like, oh. The White Ribbon I need to watch is also, everyone thought he was going to win for The White Ribbon, and he didn't. But that one's more about, like, fascism and overly controlling societies. So, he has a lot to say about life and things, and he's so interesting. I watched a roundtable discussion and the weird thing so it was like a round table for like the hollywood reporter and this was like several years old i can't it must have been when a more was up i feel like but the round table was uh hanukkah but then two other people and there were two men that i didn't realize i didn't recognize them but two other people there was john krasinski oh wow and judd apatow that's amazing and i was like what <laughs> okay but they asked him about like you tackle very tough subject matter how do you feel about people tackling like the holocaust and like hitler like and he was like i feel like when you're manipulating your audience to give humanity because they were talking about like how can you humanize bad people in movies like hitler he was like i don't think you should because i think that that is manipulating your audience about factual information and i really he does not agree with schindler's list or i can't remember the movie they were talking about but there was just there's a documentary it's night and fog i think is the documentary that uses like real footage from world war ii and he's like that's the only one that's ever been truthful and like completely Completely not manipulating the audience. And then they asked John Krasinski if he agreed. And John Krasinski was like, uh, um, uh, well, yeah, I think the manipulation thing is important because you shouldn't manipulate your audience with falsehoods. He's an interesting person. Yeah. Was there anything else about him we want to talk about before we move on? To, do you want to talk about the novel real quick yeah. before we get into so, everything? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about uh, Elfried Jelinek, who is the novelist who wrote The Piano Teacher. So she is an Austrian playwright and novelist. Uh, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in Literature in 2004 for her collective works. Oh, Obviously, yeah, oh my god, you want to talk about high accolades? Jesus, that's like the highest possibly. But she, The Piano Teacher, I think is probably her most uh, universally known work. She was criticized yeah. for actually not accepting the prize in person instead accept it for a video message but she has social phobias and she has anxiety disorders that make it impossible for her to do normal things so I thought that was interesting some of her most famous works are including Women as Lovers I think that was her first major one before the piano teacher came out I think in 83 Lust greed and wonderful wonderful times i was reading through the synopsises of a lot of her novels and it sounds like her and my michelle hanukkah are a match made in heaven because she loves looking at the dark side of people too there is one of her novels that's literally about a police officer that i guess accidentally kills a teenage girl while she's performing fellatio on him so that's just like one and then of course we're about to dive into the piano yeah. teacher so <laughs> yes 
Well, and it's interesting because she also has a lot of attention to detail, yeah. which I should have quoted this earlier, but just to tie her and Hanukkah together, when the Guardian was interviewing him about using music, mm-hmm. he's like, the choice of music was one of the most enjoyable parts of making the piano teacher, but I have too much respect for music to simply throw it in my films. He's so honest, which is why music rarely comes up in them. Usually music is used to hide a film's problems. Here the music becomes a part of the film itself. And then he said some of the pieces are specified in the novel itself. Box double concerto for two, claviers, for instance, which is piano. Yeah. In the novel, Erica says her two favorite composers are Schubert and Schumann, but it was up to me to choose which pieces to use. Which I was like, they are both so attentive to detail. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's like we said in our opening, Elfried was actually a trained, like, piano player. So it's like she wrote about Multiple instruments. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. So she played everything because that's what her mother wanted from her. And a lot of critics were like, this is very autobiographical in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, But I think it was a farce for her that... With that being said, Elfried is very different, Erica, in that she's married and she's been married since she was like 28 mm-hmm. or 29. So she has a husband. I feel like from what I understand, she writes about these dark things, but she is very secure and just seems like she's a very, very smart woman, very lovely woman. Yeah, but we're going to move on to the synopsis and then right after it's going to go into spoilers. Yes. So if you don't want the piano teacher spoiled for you, Please, please, for the love of goodness, watch it on HBO Max or Criterion Collection. There's a lot of extra tidbits on Criterion and selected commentary by Isabel Huppe herself. So I do have a synopsis. A talented but sexually and emotionally repressed pianist begins a sadomasochistic relationship with her insistent student. Yep. That's all I'm going to say. That's right. Because that's all you need to know. Yeah. We begin by meeting our main character, Erica Kohut, and she is played by Isabel Huppert, who's a French actress. That's why you don't say the T at the end, but please tell me if I'm mispronouncing the H part, because I'm always, like, confused if I did. Yeah, and Isabel is actually nominated for a record-breaking 16 Caesar Awards, Um, the Caesar Awards being the National Film Award of France, so think about the Academy Awards, that's essentially what they are. Uh, She won two. Uh, The New York Times ranked her second on its list of the greatest actors of the 21st century, and Interestingly enough, she is only behind Denzel Washington, so she is considered the greatest actress of the 21st century. A critic in that same article begged the question of her portrayal in The Piano Teacher. Are we scared of her or are we scared for her? Ooh. We don't know everything. Yes. All the above. Yes, exactly. And she did actually win the Cannes Award for Best Actress for two films, uh, Violet Nozier. I may be pronouncing that wrong. Violet Nozier. N-O-Z-I-E-R-E. I think you were were pretty correct the first time. So she won for that. I'm not seeing it in front of me, so, but I've seen it. I know what you're talking about because I I read it, but I think I didn't write it down because of all the French. No, you're good. And I was like, I may be butchering it, but she did win the cons for Best Actress for that movie in 1978. And that's actually based on a true French murder that happened in 1935. Um, And then, of course, for this film Mm. in 2001, she also earned a Golden Globe Award, an Independent Spirit Award. It was nominated at the Academy Awards for Best Actress for her performance in the 2016 film Elle. She also played Eva. Yes, I want to see that so Oh my God. So when you look up the best 
character performances, she she always ranks on the list for this movie and for Elle. So twice, every time. She did play Eva, as we mentioned earlier, who's the daughter of lead characters Anz and Jorges in Haneke's Palme d'Or and Academy Award-winning film Amour. Uh, she's been a whole lot of other shit. So uh, Lulu, Eight yeah. Women, also, Madame Bovary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. she was Madame Bovary. Oh, yeah. And she was also on I Heart yeah. Huckabee's Louder Than Bombs. Greta, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, and means. fun fact, she has played the piano. She really does play the piano in this movie. She uh, mm-hmm. did it for 12 years, and then she resumed again a year before filming to be on it again. Yeah. yeah. But Benoit, the other actor, has had never played it before. Oh, wow. And she was like, he's really the one... Because they both really played it. And no one's faking. Everyone's actually playing their instruments in this film. Which is why it's so, like, immersive. It's so great. But so, obviously, Erica is a piano teacher. She's a piano professor at the Vienna Music Conservatory, which is where the novel's author also studied at, as we said. But in high school, it sounds like, not in college. Because she ended up going to college for theater and psychology i think didn't we say uh art uh history is that right theater and art history oh art history i think you're right so she's extremely well respected by her peers but she's not really involved socially with people like she goes to social functions but it seems very performative her personal life is extremely dark as she suffers from emotional and sexual repression brought on by her relationship with her absent dying father and her manipulative and controlling mother who is representative of the novelist's mother as well which terrifies me and she's played by annie glardo and so uh annie glardo over a five decade career had starred in nearly 150 films uh she won three Caesar Awards, two Moller Awards, and was a BAFA nominee. Uh, so she was known for playing every women type characters. Throughout the 70s, she was one of France's biggest stars and simply being in a movie basically guaranteed that the film was going to be successful. And then for a few of her movies include Caché. So she was in Caché, which uh, Katie mentioned earlier, yes. which is another Hanukkah film. To Die of Love, and I cannot pronounce this, I think it's Dr. Francois Gilliand. So that was the movie that got her a lot of her awards. So yeah, a huge actress in France. But apparently in between those decades, her early mm-hmm. decades and this movie, she hadn't she was like like a poor person. I don't that's all they said, like a peasant. That's what the word is. I'm oh, sorry. Wow. I wasn't trying to say poor person. I was trying to say peasant in Les Mis, mm. like the t- the movie version of Les Miserables. So like she like had a lot of bit parts until this movie. So this was actually like him using her like it was like almost a revitalization of her career, yeah. which is pretty cool. I think she has since passed away, though. But yeah, so her mother is very controlling and they still live together, which that's not weird. But they also sleep in her parents' bed, even though Erica has her own room. Erica's room is more like an office, yeah. which is just kind of weird. I don't know. Like, I, at a certain point, I would not sleep next to my mother. Yeah. In the same bed. On a daily basis. Well, it feels like a control thing. And we, this movie, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, we should probably put, like, a warning. Because uh, you have to talk about things sexually very frankly yeah. with this film. So There's a lot of trauma it, in this movie, too. It feels like... So she sleeps with her mom in bed, which feels like another way her mom controls even, like, any sexual desires. Because you're not going to masturbate in bed next to your mom. Like, right. Well, and she also seems very childlike in a lot of ways. Yeah. But she's also, like, overly sexual. I mean, I don't know. What is overly sexual? I feel like sometimes... I don't think she's overly sexual. I think she's sexual and she's repressed in a 
socially acceptable way because like again like she can't even like masturbate in bed that's so stupid like i mean she can't do that she can't have men over to sleep with she can't really explore her sexuality and i don't know if she's ever been able to do that yeah frankly it's insane and i think that's a big part of her because when you don't have any frame of reference for sex but you see sex yeah which we'll go into that with her one thing that she likes to do which is mm, there's a scene about it a couple scenes but she like will tell her mom she's going for a walk but she actually goes to like an adult store and she watches pornography and like it's like she has to go out to get sex and i mean that's like when you're like in high school and you're like you live with your parents but you want to make out with your boyfriend but like you don't want your parents to walk in so you're like oh let's go find like a place to park or something like so awkward and she's an adult like you shouldn't have to do that as an adult well that's what i think is so troubling um from the onset of this movie is she walks in and she walks in later than her mother Mm -hmm. suspecting her her mother gets mad at her for buying a dress keep in mind erica is the breadwinner her mom doesn't work there's no father around erica is the breadwinner and her mom gets mad at her for spending her money the way she wants to she destroys that dress she lays hands on her and then later after they made up for emotional manipulation when her mom's like i can't believe you hit me she's like crying later she's like i don't get why she slapped her yeah oh no she did rip her hair out yeah it is it does get pretty yeah it's like the first scene it's like within the first six minutes of the movie it's within the first six seven minutes the movie you see all this happen and then as they lay in bed together she comments the woman is hardly wearing any makeup she looks completely natural and her mom still is like i think you wear Mm -hmm. too makeup for someone of your standing so everything she does is criticized like you see everything she does is criticized i don't think she wants to be at home and it's just i think the one around is like that's why she goes out and does stuff because and the thing is like it is perfectly normal to live with your parent, especially if your parent is elderly. There's nothing wrong with that. But there has to be an independence. Yeah. I never have officially moved back in with my parents since moving out for college. But, like, between, like, apartments and my house, like, I did live with them for a few weeks. But, like, they would check in with me to make sure I wasn't, like, you know, yeah. lying on the side of the road. Or, like, or something terrible had happened to me. But... They, they didn't, like, make sure I was, like, there. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, they didn't control. I don't know. And I guess I'm lucky because my parents aren't that controlling. Because there is something about, like, when you live in the same house as someone, you should check in with them because they probably will worry about you because, unfortunately, bad things can happen. And, you know, it is good to check in. Yeah. And, like, but there's there's controlling everything they do. And it's, like, when you're the person paying the rent, paying for the food and then the person who's not is telling you what to do like unfortunately it is not an uncommon thing yeah and i have had more than one person that i have friends and not so much relatives but friends that i have known were like one parent is the breadwinner and the other like one in particular one person was like lost their job which happened to a lot of people at that point never tried to get another job and they let their spouse work multiple jobs and then like all they had to do was do the housework to you know help out but they would just make up an excuse and never do the housework so their child who was living with them through college and after college ended up like doing all the stuff that the spouse was supposed to be doing at home and then they ended up having a very well yeah this is very similar to someone i was very close with their family uh very close to the manipulation so 
I'm glad I haven't had it firsthand. Yeah. But watching someone get manipulated by an abusive parent is the saddest fucking most heartbreaking thing to watch. So anyways, it's very, very toxic from the get-go. But then you also see, because she's a piano teacher, obviously, like the title, because she feels inferior because of her mother she makes her students feel inferior so she can feel superior at work so she's very no nonsense she's very very hard on her students but she's also hard on herself it's interesting like her psychology is so interesting so she is asked to perform at a home concert for the prestigious blonsky family and one of the people there becomes absolutely enraptured by her performance, and that is the young engineering student, Walter Klemmer, who's played by Benoit Mag- Magamel? Yeah. Magamel? That sounds right. I know it's Benoit. Benoit. And yes, but. and Benoit won the Best Actor Award at Cannes for this role, but he's also appeared in such films as Thieves uh, in 1996, which he was nominated for mm-hmm. Most Promising Actor, so that was five years before this movie. He was nominated for Most Promising Actor. And then A Girl Cut in Two, where he was also nominated for the Lum- mm-hmm. Luminaire Award for Best Actor. 2012 My Way, where he was nominated for a Caesar Award for Best Actor, uh, or Best Supporting, I'm sorry. 2015 Standing Tall, and recently... 2021's Peaceful, which he won the Caesar Award and the Luminaires Award for Best Actor. So he's also a critically acclaimed actor, like year after year, film after film. Yeah, he's, and he's really good in this movie. I will say, I think Isabel is at the Mm -hmm. helm, but he's really, really, really strong here. Um, But he's also playing a much younger person with less control at the beginning. So like, it makes sense that she's the more dominating presence yeah. he's just like enraptured by her like like just like you can just tell he one loves music and two is falling in love with erica and they start talking and he they both express a shared love of schubert and schumann um schumann i'm sorry um who are erica's favorite composers and then he ends up playing the piano and he's pretty darn good yeah. you know of course she has to take her mother with her and her mother does some weird thing where she like makes her put on her sweater immediately and it's like yeah okay and i believe this is when yes yeah, so this is when we find the pornography situation we see her interacting with a lot of her students which do we want to go over her students before we go into the pornography scene i didn't write down her male student i wrote down anna and i feel so bad is it sigalvich I think it's Sigalevich. Sigalevich as Anna. Sigalevich? Sigalevich. And she plays Anna Schober. So she's actually an actress and a composer. She composed the music for Tempting Devils, as well as a TV documentary movie. And she also played in Opium and a few other films, uh, such as Tempting Devils, which of course, once again, she composed, and The Art Dealer. So she's she's been doing things, but I thought that was really cool that she mm-hmm. plays the piano in this movie. She's actually a composer in real life. That's pretty cool. And then her mother... So So Anna is very shy. She's very dedicated to her music, but she seems very anxious about everything too. And and Erica is very tough on her. But tough teachers, if they're good teachers, it's totally fine if they're tough on you. I, I mean, there's limits, obviously. Erica goes beyond those limits, but we've all had tough teachers. But so she has this mother played by Suzanne Lothar, who is a German actress who was in Funny Games. Yeah. And her mother is also 
very controlling, very obsessed with her daughter being successful. So she also, I did want to say with Suzanne, so she, you're right, she was in Funny Games, and she was also in Hanukkah's The White Ribbon and The Castle, which was also, mm-hmm. so she was a frequent Hanukkah collaborator. And I thought, I'm not going to mm-hmm. get too much into this, but I did think this was interesting, and it was going to ask you a little bit of your hot take. So I was reading she passed away in 2012, and it was not confirmed yeah. how she passed away, but Hanukkah did confirm it was suicide on the Criterion release of funny games yeah and i thought if they didn't release it why he chose to do that i mean obviously he was close with her they were a freaking collaborator i just thought it was an interesting thing to mention that well, on an auto commentary so i know her husband died yeah. around the same time like a year or two before she died and it does seem like i think i've read it was the day before his fifth anniversary yes So it seems like she didn't want to have life without him. I mean, it seems very, like, inferred that that's probably what happened. But I don't know why Hanukkah thought. Maybe he just was trying to be honest. Maybe he slipped. I haven't actually listened to the commentary on the Criterion. So I don't know what the context is of him saying it. Because it could have been, like, maybe he thought people knew. Or maybe it was just like kind of an open secret kind of thing. And he didn't really think anything of it. He's not a very like, he's not a very secretive person. Like he's very honest. The only thing like he won't say is like, there's like a crime committed in the White Ribbon and he won't like fully tell people who the culprit is. But that's like a running theme throughout the movie, which I have yet to see the White Ribbon. So I I, I don't even know yet. But yeah, so maybe it was just, he just seems very honest. So maybe he just didn't feel like keeping it a secret. I don't know. I, I don't think he's like a bad person because... Because obviously he was a frequent collaborator with her. So it was like she obviously felt comfortable coming back to him over and over again to work with him. I was just, it was interesting to read those two sentences back to back. That was like the death was kept, you know, the details weren't released at the time. And then they were only publicly released because of that auto commentary. I thought that was a really interesting thing to read back to back. Yeah, but it's really sad. But she's an incredible, incredible actor. I really like her. I do think. She is speaking French, although Madame or Mrs. Blonsky is speaking German because this movie was filmed in Vienna, but it's in French because Isabelle Huppert and a lot of the other actors are French. But so a couple actors he let speak in their native tongue and then re-recorded dialogue and it's a little weird, but I'm pretty sure Suzanne is speaking French because she sounded very similar to... I could be wrong, though. Or maybe they just had a better dub for her. Anna, though, is very symbolic. She's basically the stand-in for the younger Erica and what she sees as an inevitable fate if it's not... if Erica doesn't intervene. Because in the book... They explore a lot of her traumatic childhood, but Hanukkah just felt like it was too much. So she's kind of a stand-in for Erica. And then she teaches a teenager who doesn't really seem to respect music, which I didn't write him down either. But when Erica's not teaching, she goes to the adult shop. And this is the night, like late 90s, early 2000s. So I think it was filmed in 2000, released in 2001. Like... I think they just call it, like, the porno shop, basically. But she goes to, like, peep shows. And, yeah, if you're sensitive, there's, like, just pornography. Like, what a... Like, I I don't know how that woman wasn't choking on that guy's penis. It's very interesting, too, because I was literally... I was... I wrote it down because that is, like, heavily pornographic. But the rest of this movie, the subject matter is very explicit. But the way it's shot is not explicit at all. No. 
it's not exploitative. There's not a lot of nudity. Yeah. And it's not a lot of, like, you don't really see genitals at all, except for this pornography. But again, it's pornography and it's, you know, adult actors. Yeah. But she goes to, like, a peep show. But it's not, like, a live peep show. Like, okay, so people go into booths. And they watch pornography, and there are these tissues in a basket. And uh, obviously, it's somebody's, like, cum rag. And she just, like, it's so funny, because she starts sniffing it out of, like, it seems like curiosity. Like, she's like, oh, just a just a little whiff. And then she, like, like inhales that sucker. Yeah. And I was just, we were talking about this earlier. I was like, I, wouldn't, I would not feel like the smell of cum is that exotic of a scent. But maybe if you've never gotten to, like, have a sex life, maybe she just really likes that. Wouldn't be my choice of perfume, yeah. though. There's a lot of, like, yeah. I feel like maybe we should have given a bigger trigger warning. There's a lot of sex. There's a lot of violence. And there's a lot of trauma so if any of that sounds bad stop listening now anyways and she sees one of her pupils at one of the scenes when she goes to the shop and like she calls like she calls him out on it and then like he comes to his lesson and she's like being a bitch to him and she's like you're a pig all your friends are dirty pigs he's like i'm so sorry she's like why are you apologizing because you're a pig because your friends are dirty little pigs yeah and she's like i'm gonna tell your mother and it's terrifying i was like man um but she also an important thing to know is like she has a lot of self-hatred and she does practice self-mutilation and there's a very interesting scene after she meets walter and i do want to say the self-mutilation scene which was probably one of the hardest scenes for me in this movie is she cuts herself over a bathtub it's you can tell by her hand placement she's probably cutting her vagina and you see the blood you don't see the cut you see the blood but i've read the excerpt in the book it is a vagina and it's okay yeah vagina it is her vagina and it's actually with her father's razor which gives even more context to that scene oh god yeah because that's the part i wanted to read in the book because even isabel was like in the book She's like, she was like, I cannot remember. She couldn't remember exactly what the book said. Yeah. So she was like, it's sad. And she, oh, it's kind of, oh, it's kind of, it's not funny, but it's kind of quirky because like she cuts herself, she's bleeding. And like Isabel was almost like, like it's almost like circumcision almost, like female circumcision, which is not a good thing. It's not the same thing as male circumcision, which that's still debatable socially. Like it's almost like she... Because she's having sexual desires for Walter, but she doesn't want to. Because she thinks he's this shallow person. And it's almost like she's punishing herself for having sexual feelings for him. And then her mother calls her to dinner and, like, she puts a pad on. And it's so, this scene is so interesting because, like, you see her clean it up and everything. And then, like, she's, like, bleeding so profusely that it's like down her leg and her mom's like oh are you okay see and i thought this moment was that she was being a masochist that she was kind of deriving pleasure from her pain and also maybe letting the because people who self-mutilate the common thing is that they think it's releasing something out of them like it's releasing like maybe something bad out of them or with her it's it's like it's a release of some form and if she's not being released for orgasm it's a different form of release for her but she doesn't like that she's falling in love with him because it's relinquishing control and she her whole life you know like some people just don't feel like they've had control over their whole life and a lot of people who haven't had control over most of their life will exert control in healthy and unhealthy ways but i feel like if you're like trying to control your life by like only wearing the color green or self-mutilation it's probably not a healthy thing there's varying degrees of it but you probably need to go to therapy and talk through it but yeah i I mean i think 
both can be said. But I think the timing of her, like, being aroused by Walter, I don't know. Like, I'm not 100% sure either way, but that's kind of what I thought. The only reason that I'm thinking it's a ritual for her is because it's carefully hidden. Like, it's a place she carefully hides the razor. It's in, like, a nice little box. Like, it seems like a lot of love and care goes in the razor. And once again, we aren't given that information in the film is her father's razor. But if that's something that was written to the screenplay, it's definitely something that affects Erica as a character. And I feel like this has been something Mm -hmm. that's ongoing because she knows the places to cut that maybe mom won't see. And mom probably sees a lot of her body. Yeah. I feel like she doesn't cut her vagina though regularly. I feel like that is unique to this situation because she does bleed. So I feel like she practices self-mutilation, but it's probably like her thighs. Yeah. Which is unfortunately pretty common and walter does show up at the music auditions and i love this scene because she is so not here for it but she really is because okay so here's the thing about isabel hupet is and she said that hanukkah was like yelling at her kind of like what to do but like like while walter was playing um in the actual scene because she was like she was like what my initial thought would be would to be moved by the music because the music is so moving and beautiful. But he's like, but no, you have to be resisting the music yeah. because you don't want it. And so, like, you can see, like, the tension in her hand. Like, she's, like, grabbing her skirt. And it's not overt. It's very subtle. But you can tell that she's, like, trying not to be as attracted or turned on, whatever the phrase you want to use to him especially him playing music that she loves she's she sees it as a weakness within herself which is not cool for her mental health but she's trying very hard not to but she's also very curious but the thing that isabel kept saying was that she has a fear that he is he is a shallow person and he's more about seduction than love and she wants love she doesn't want just seduction but her biggest fear is that he's all into the seduction and not about love And she's really looking for someone that she can share her deep, dark secrets with and share her love with, which I found very interesting. At least that's, that's the, what Isabel Hupeau is trying to express, which I find super interesting. And she's very indifferent to him. Everyone was like, oh my God, he's so great. And it's like an engineering student trying to be a music student. Yeah. So they kind of start a sexual cat and mouse. And Walter, like basically their first lesson is like, I want your attention. And she's like, you're a stupid boy. And she points out, about and this is my I'll, I'll stop talking after i talk about schumann and schubert but she starts she points out how schumann and schubert both had mental illness and they're both of their favorite composers and schumann actually he died in an asylum he put himself in the asylum because he had a lot of anxiety and just awful mental health issues and he they didn't really have mental health back then they didn't have help for that and his wife wasn't allowed to visit him until like right before he died but brahms i believe it was brahms was kind of a go-between because they both taught him and um when he was young she kind of kept the she kept her family together through her compositions and her performances while he was in the asylum and that's when she really became more well known when before she was like co-composing with her husband which i think is important to erica because she's keeping her family together by her with her music as well and she's the breadwinner like clara schumann was even though robert schumann i think is who she's actually referring to but schubert he most likely had syphilis and they treated syphilis with mercury which causes brain damage so he had he died of like late stage syphilis but also his mental health state was made worse by taking mercury 
But basically, they the next important scene, I think, unless I'm skipping something, is the rehearsal yeah. scene. So Walter comes to watch this rehearsal scene, and Anna's practicing with a singer, but Anna arrives late, and I feel so bad for her at this point because the singer and Erica both give her shit, and she looks away, and she's like, I, I had diarrhea, and because she's obviously so fucking nervous, and Erica's like, look, you have to have... Ner- We've all yeah, been there, girl. You have to have nerves of still. So later... Erica sees Walter. He's just being kind to Anna before she does her performance. And so she leaves the recital. Which I think he's doing it for Erica. He's, being, he's trying to make her a little jealous. Yeah. No, no. I think he's trying to oh, help. Oh, you think he's trying to help? I think he's genuinely trying oh. to like suck up to her at this point. Because she has more control at this point. I have a different feeling of Walter as a character. I think in the beginning, he genuinely wants her attention. And he thinks that that's what he wants. But I think his intentions do change at some point. I think he's a very like typical young man and that he's wanting something because he can't have it yet and he's trying to like and I think there's a fascination there I think he really does love Erica though I think it's the first time he's really felt love towards someone uh, but I don't think he knows how to I think handle it's admiration. it though. I think it's admiration because she's so eh. fucking brilliant agree to disagree yeah, like well the next scene is like a point that I think can back up my theory a little bit but she sees Walter being kind to Anna and so she leaves the recital hall and she breaks the glass and she stashes the shards in Anna's coat pocket which I think she thinks she's saving Anna she's also jealous but Isabel says that and I agree is that she sees Anna as herself and if she doesn't keep Anna from going down the path she went down, then she's going to have the same fate with her mother. And so most of it is jealousy. But there is a little beacon of like, this is a sick and twisted way to save Anna from becoming Erica yeah. later on. Which is sad and disturbing, but also like, I get it. But I'm also like, I mean, that's not the way to do that. But okay. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, there's so many layers and so many. It's like, I, I can see Isabel saying that and I can agree with with that but then this is this scene is kind of where there's like there's all these different things going on and I'm not quite sure because of that so when Anna's screams are heard Erica immediately runs to the bathroom she tells Walter she's like I can't deal with blood you be the hero but <laughs> which is the funniest fucking thing ever because she does deal with blood yes. all the time I was like Bitch. but this ties into an earlier scene so Erica, in an earlier scene in the movie, she sees a couple having sex at a drive-in theater. And she's so overcome, she urinates. That's like a sexual thing for her. Mm-hmm. It's almost like her orgasm, she immediately has to pee. So when Anna is hurt, her indication, she immediately goes and urinates. Which to me tells me she derives pleasure from this moment. Yeah, I don't know if she's actually urinating, though, or if she's trying to create an opportunity for her and Walter to be no, alone. No, I think, I think it's a she little bit is, of both. and the only reason I know this is because I was reading excerpts from the novel, and when Walter goes to find her, he can hear her urinating. Well, yeah, but in the movie, you can't hear her urinating. That's why I'm like, I don't know if that... I don't yeah, know. I think it is. I don't is. know. I really... I actually believe for it sure. is. And maybe... I, I think both things can be right. I think that maybe there is like a sick twisted mm-hmm. idea of love that she is protecting Anna, but she still is turned on at the moment too by the pain. Yeah, no. It's it's a lot of... This is a very complicated yeah. film to talk about. Yeah. Just why this episode will probably be a little bit long, but hopefully not crazy long. Yeah. But this is... 
that scene, it's on all the posters, yeah. where er- Walter follows Erica into the bathroom, locks the door, and climbs over the bathroom stall and unlocks it. I was like, all right. That was, it's very impressive. They're very oh, tall yeah. stalls. But he also plays hockey, so you know he's yeah. tough. And they start to embrace and kiss in a very traditional way. But then Erica starts giving him a hand job and a blow job. But then she, like, insists that he can't move. He can't say anything. He can't touch her. And he's trying to be very traditional with love. And she, as we find out later, she wants to exert control. Yeah. But here's the thing. Erica wants to exert control. But she also desires to be the submissive in a BDSM relationship, which usually submissives do have control. But the way she wants Walter to act is taking her control away. Yeah. Which is not how BDSM works. Isn't this sadomasochism? And also... Well, uh, BDSM is bondage, domination, sadomasochism. Oh, wait, I don't know what the D is. The sadomasochism part, though, is somebody that it's like they are getting off on the idea. But she's this is where it gets complicated because she's wanting to control. That's what I'm saying. I don't think she understands. I don't think she understands how that relationship works because she's never been able to explore it before. And she, this is Fifty Shades of Grey makes this mistake too. (laughs) Sorry. Where like the dominant, the dominatrix, the dominant is in charge. But that's not really how those, and I I don't, this is from me reading stuff because when Fifty Shades of Grey came out, people were like, this is not how BDSM works. Like people who actually have that lifestyle and like the person who is submissive has the control because they're the person who's getting punished. But I don't think Erica understands that. I think she's got this fantasy of like, it's almost too realistic in her brain. Like she's trying to do like what, because BDSM isn't like real. Like, I mean, it is, it happens. But like, it's not like you're really submissive to a dominant person. It's a relationship and there is power, but you are supposed to be equal because that's the only way, like, you're not going to hurt the other person emotionally or physically. You have to be on even footing, even if one person's punishing the other person, blah, blah, blah. You still are even footing in a relationship. Yeah. At least that's my understanding. Erica, like, almost wants it to be what they're playing at because it is like a, it's like a bedroom play. You know, and she doesn't, I don't think she understands because she hasn't had that experience and she's always wanted it. So she's fantasized and she's maybe made it too complicated in her head or not really thought about the functionality because she wants to be dominated is what she says, but she also wants to control him. But it's- And it's very confusing and I don't think she knows what she wants. I think it makes sense though because she does want to be dominated, but there's a series of steps that she wants to make sure it happens in that way how it's her series of steps in her brain so it's like yes i want to be dominated but i want this to happen followed by this followed by this so she's in control of what's happening when it's happening while still being dominated or she thinks she's in control but this is also the scene where i feel like we see walter change a little bit which is another complicated but think about this film because it could be argued that like he's just frustrated in the moment but to me there seems to be a change in his reward romantic attitude once he starts to not get his way so he gets really frustrated and he kind of is like you can't leave you can't do this to a man you can't leave a man hanging like this so it's almost like once she begins the act she tries to assert control she stops he gets upset and is like well you can't just stop now it's the first kind of yeah see a switch yeah. in him in this moment a yeah. little bit i don't really see the switch until a little later i think he's just being a college-aged man yeah. in my 
at this part. But I can see that too. But it is kind of funny because she's like, don't put your penis away. And opens the door before he lets she lets him yeah. finish and then she's like okay now yep. you can but yeah it's a very like who's gonna have control over the situation is it gonna be walter is it going to be her and she tells him that she's going to give him a letter and or maybe a phone call or maybe like she's trying to keep him guessing and that letter will tell you what you can do to me basically and she does eventually give him the letter okay she stalked him to a hockey rink earlier and now he follows her home to her house and i was like you know what that's kind of cute actually that they stalk each other because only one like it seems like they're both equally obsessed with each other it's not cute it's not a healthy relationship but i was like at least they're on even footing i guess because they're obsessed with each other it's not love it's obsession and it's infatuation yes um so he follows her home her mom okay so erica locks her bedroom door which isn't really a bedroom for her and puts she has to put a dresser in front of her door guys and her mom still tries to get in it's so fucking weird and Walter starts reading the letter. Yeah, which I do want to say right before this, because he follows her home, like you said, and she specifically is like, did you read my letter? And he's like, I'm not interested in letters. And which is the one thing she asked him to do. But he does read in front of her. He's so dismissive about it at this point. This is where I see him turn. Because like, so her letter has very specific and explicit directions that she really desires a rape fantasy yeah but hers is very violent and explicit directions leave like even what to do with her mother which is okay which disturbs me that her mother has to be a part of her sexual fantasy because her mother has ingrained herself so much into erica's life that she can't even have a sexual fantasy that doesn't involve her mother which makes me so sad for erica and walter like at one point he like he reads the letter and he's like disgusted by it but then he like just grabs her boob and starts like massaging it like now's the time to do that because obviously he's used to i guess girls just being seduced easily i don't know he's one of those dudes and erica does not want that and that's what she's afraid he is but she's also really attracted to him and they do have things in common so she's trying to put up with it but anyways he ends up leaving and then i don't this might be the worst scene for me surprisingly she's okay so she's been completely abandoned the first person she's really come clean about she's even showed him her box of like like instruments like rope and handcuffs and stuff also her father dies off screen which they just mentioned that once but that's also adding to her mental state but um her and her mother are in bed and so erica like (sighs) okay so a lot of people have been like oh she just goes fucking crazy i don't think that's it I think Erica put herself out there, let herself fall in love with somebody, opened herself up to someone for the first time for real, maybe ever, and he's repulsed by her. He abandons her, and she cannot handle it, and she doesn't have coping mechanisms and she lashes out at the only body in the room because she wants love and that's her mother and she jumps on top of her mother and starts like kissing her and touching her it's not it's not like she's seducing her though it's very like violent and clumsy and there's a thing about like isabel said like the way they got this scene right was there's a weird thing going on with her elbows where they look like chicken wings and like she was like that's when hanukkah said we have it and obviously these two actresses aren't really in a relationship i mean they're not really related but it's always weird to see incest but it's not supposed to be incest shock i think a lot of people say that i think honestly her mother and her relationship is very complicated i also think that it's also a bit of a warm body situation yeah a little bit but she's also very supposed to be very animalistic it's not really supposed to be that she's desires incest with her mother but they do have a very complicated relationship also i think she's a bit 
going trying to humiliate her mother a little bit. I mentioned that, and I will mention this, I guess it's actually a paper someone wrote that they wrote this as a class paper. It's calling Analyzing Elfrey Jelinek's The Piano Teacher, The Layers of Erica's Masochism. And mm-hmm. the thing that they brought an excerpt from the book, which is why I've seen excerpts from the book, was because it was this amazing 19-page mm-hmm. paper I read. And they said at this point, Erica is trying to crawl back into her mother, essentially. That yes. this is like, yes. it's not really a sexual thing as much as like she's craving her mother in like her mother's yeah. womb. It's out of desperate. And her mother actually handles it better yeah. than I would have assumed this mother because she's just like, first she's like, oh, what? Are you insane? And then she's like, no, you have to stop it. You have to stop it. And she almost forcefully but gently gets her off of her. And then like, <laughs> just like a punch in her gut after they talk a little bit. And she tries again and then she fails. She goes, I saw your pubic hair. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So, I mean, she's trying to get the upper hand, but she still wants Walter, and so she shows up at the hockey rink. And this is, like, there's a lot of long takes in this movie, but this move, this scene starts in the hockey rink, moves to the hallway, goes into a janitor's closet. At some point, she vomits and exits out of the ice skating rink, and all of that was in one shot, and all of it was, like, shot in sequence. Like, they didn't cut anywhere. And I find that scene so impressive. She goes there to apologize to Walter. They go to the janitor's closet. He's kind of not really into it, but she, like, she gets on the floor and she's kind of, she's, okay, so he doesn't, she's like, I don't want to lose him, but he's, he wants, like, vanilla sex. So I'm going to try to have, like, traditional vanilla sex with him. So she lays on the floor. She's like, whatever you want. She starts giving him a blowjob. They get on the floor. He gets on top of her. And he ejaculates in her mouth and she vomits. Yeah. And it's almost like her body is repulsed by vanilla sex, which sucks because she wants to. And I do think Walter, before he read the letter, I think he wanted to try things her way too. But it's like they both just can't get on the same page. Yeah. Okay. And then he says something really cruel where she like vomits and she washes her mouth. She's like, oh, I'm clean. I'm clean like a baby. And which was a weird phrase, but I got it. He was like, oh, you stink. You stink so much. And I think he's trying because I don't think he understands sadomasochism either. Yeah. He's trying to do her thing where he's like insulting her. Because he thinks it'll turn her on half. And I think half he's also disgusted. But I think, like, he's trying to. But he does it earlier. And then she just gets frustrated and runs off. He does that earlier, though, when he rejects her. Because he's like, you're the type of person who's so dirty, I don't want to touch you with gloved hands. Because he says that in her bedroom. Yeah. But I think he's also trying to... I don't know. I think he's trying to at this point. That's the, the thing about psychological dramas and like this movie is like you don't get everything but you get enough where you could talk about it forever oh yeah i agree but then with she, that. yeah and she runs away kind of in humiliation and it's the night before the concert she's at home and she gets a knock at her door and it's walter and he's like i've been masturbating outside your window like your letter and he's here to make all of her fantasies come true but they don't really add up to what she built up in her head do you do you want to elaborate Britt? yeah so i can definitely do this and this is this is the issue so yeah you can read any psychology article journal rape fantasies are very very common so erica admitted this kind of rape fantasy she had in her letter to walter but there's very precise details and i will go over them a little bit in graphic detail so in the letter she describes how she wants to be tied gag her face set on and she wants to be punched in the stomach in her bedroom and her mother to be in the other bedroom. So Walter yeah. berates her 
he he calls her a perverted bitch. He locks her mom in the bedroom. He then violently slaps her and kicks her in the face. And so he rapes her, but he rapes her in the hallway. So there's all these things here he's doing because it's a total miscommunication of him not understanding what she wanted. Because he got this gist of well, she wants to be raped. And that's not what it was about at all. It was a step Well, he didn't step. even like, he barely read the stupid, I mean, yeah. it, the letter's not stupid. Yeah. But- he, he barely read the letter. And he does, okay, I thought he was being a total asshole. I mean, he is being a total asshole, but. Yes. It's the moment when he gets a glass of water and you can kind of tell that he is trying to make himself be this person that he's not. Or is he secretly releasing stuff that he's held inside forever? Yeah. And, you know, at some point Erica goes, oh, not my head or my hands. Like, don't touch my face or my hands. So she is giving him permission to keep going. She doesn't say no. She doesn't really say stop. But she does try to get away. It's very confusing what exactly. But he also in the kitchen. It's not right either way. He also in the kitchen. And the reason it's so fresh on my mind is that I watched it again. Like, I watched the last, like, 30 minutes right before we got on. Like, Uh uh-huh. And he goes, this is what you wanted. This is your fault. And it pans to her and her face is bloody and her eyes are misty with tears. And she's like, yes. And so she, I think in that moment, it's not what she wants, but she feels like I brought this unto myself by indulging these fantasies to this man that maybe she doesn't really felt like at this point she should have. It's the tragedy in this is that Erica opened up to the wrong person is I think the ultimate tragedy. Yeah, he's not, I feel like maybe she wants to see it through to see if this is what she wants in a relationship. Because, I mean, but again, this is not how an actual BDSM relationship works. Neither one of them understand it. And I feel like that's important because I don't think either one of them is purposefully trying to hurt the other one. I think they... I think they think that they're trying to satisfy the other person, but they don't know how because they don't really understand it. And Erica has seen stuff, but she's never experienced it. And seeing something, experiencing something is very different. Like you could see a specific, oh, okay, here's a really good, it's a funny, just to lighten it up. That 70s show, there's that episode where Eric goes and sees a porn show and there's some kind of ice cube trick. I don't know what the trick was because they don't show it because it was cable TV. It was regular TV. But like he tries to do it to Donna and it freaks her out because he doesn't like ask her permission first. It's like that. You can see something, but you don't know how your body's going to react or what you're actually going to like until you try it. So like I think Eric is also super disappointed because she really thought this was going to be her like ultimate fantasy and it's definitely not what she thought it was because i don't well i don't know maybe she's felt pain because she does give herself pain but she's controlling the pain yeah it's very different when somebody else hits you and i think that's what the whole issue is is that it's a lack of control that walter doesn't really do what she wants in the steps that she wanted she's not in control of the situation because she doesn't know what he's going to do next during the entire thing yeah and it's the other thing is like so he eventually like start penetrates her and is like having sex with her and he tries to get her to like get into it because he thinks like oh at this point like she's gonna be because he doesn't understand yeah and like it's like she's like so numb yeah and like i don't know it's just like a big mistake it's a terrible terrible fucking mistake yeah well she asks him to stop but in her letter she's also like don't stop even if i say stop right so it's very frustrating because you're like i don't i don't think i do think that he is as shallow as she feared him 
to be in the end. But I don't think he was trying to be a rapist. I think he literally was trying to satisfy her fantasies, but took it way too far because he didn't know how to. Because he didn't read the fucking letter. And he leaves... And then the next day, I do love this because she gets a kitchen knife. Yeah. She puts it in her purse. And I don't know. What did you think? Because I was like, oh, God, she's going to stab Walter. Yeah. Or, like, slash his throat. I thought there was two things that this that the direction was going. I thought either she was scheming to harm Walter or she was planning to harm herself in front of Walter. Either way, I think she was wanting to do something very, like, showy and cinematic. Yeah. And once again, she has these mm-hmm. ideas in her head that she's playing. She's making a billboard big. And she has mm-hmm. she has something planned, but we really don't know mm-hmm. what it is. I don't think her plan goes to her specification. So she's there. She's in the concert hall with her mom. She sees Anna and her mom. And she's like, oh, go ahead without me. And she's like, she's like standing in the shadows, like waiting, waiting. It's like, what is she going to do? What is she going to do? What is going to happen? I was terrified the first time I watched this. I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And Walter's family comes in and he just kind of breezes past her and says, like, can't wait to hear you play, Professor, with Ava Green and another lady, like, just on his hands. Uh, Isabel Huppert said bimbos, but she was like, I don't think they're bimbos, but I think that's the colloquial term for this. So, Erica, it's very important. This took 52 takes to get this right. She is absolutely distraught. Yeah. She takes out the knife, grimaces before stabbing herself in the shoulder. And that moment, she does intend suicide, according to Isabel Huppert, but she won't even let herself succeed at that, which is good because it almost gives her the freedom to leave her life. Yeah. And she walks out the door and walks out the street away from her life. And in Isabel Huppert, in her interpretation, she says that I think she can move on now and can be happy and heal. And it took this experience to do that. So in a way, Walter is freeing her in a way she didn't know he could. Yeah. Which is good. But then it's like the way she had to be freed is so messed up. And I don't know if you but felt this way. It's powerful. But when you see the blood form on her shirt, it almost looks like in the shape of a heart to me. I always think that. Like yeah. I watched it twice and it looks Maybe. like the blood forms a of bit. heart. But I agree with that. It was that. a blood bag. So yeah. they had to keep changing shirts and blood bags. And she had chain mail underneath. Yeah. So she had a real she had a knife. Yeah. She stabbed a blood bag. And there was chain mail underneath the blood bag, underneath her shirt. Wow. Which I'm glad it, maybe that's why she had such a basic top. Because <laughs> they had to buy like 50 of them. Yeah. But it's powerful. I love it. And I agree with this because it's like, so we, I don't know if it's the next day, but it's definitely either the next day or a day or two after the attack. And it's like, her child's literally been attacked within their own home and her mother still has her play that re- recital. And the thing that I keep yeah. thinking of is that like, this was, this is like her freedom. This is literally her freedom because for the first time in her life, she defies her mom and doesn't play that mm-hmm. recital. It's also what I took from it. But it's also so, so sad because she can't control the emotional pain she feels at Walter's rejection. But once again, she can control that physical pain too, which is right. so many layers in that moment. It's incredible. But I'm glad she doesn't succeed in killing herself because I think that I think that would have soured the whole film. I think the fact that she walks away yeah. scathed but alive is so important and it does almost give you a hopeful look and maybe she'll find somebody who can satisfy her without actually terribly hurting her yeah she might have a chance at love and life and happiness and independence 
She's going to be like the little girl in Turning Red. <laughs> Sorry. But she's going to be happy. I, I think. Was there... A, what was like... Did you have any pros or cons we haven't already mentioned? No, I think the majority of the pros is that, I mean, once again, no matter how we feel, if we loved it, if we hate it, I mean, it is general knowledge. If you are if you love film, that this is like the best character study ever on film that's been yes. said over and over again in many a movie articles. It's amazing. And it's a very powerful piece. Uh, it's a very moving piece. I think it would deeply affect anyone that watched it. The only thing is, is that I think it would deeply affect people in different ways depending on how they interpret it. And I will say the yes. one con, the one con is if you don't really have any kind of understanding of sexuality or psychology, you may just think this is mm-hmm. a really, really weird, harmful movie uh, if yes. you just didn't know anything. Yeah, I would not blame anyone who does not want to deal with the graphic nature of this film. Although... I don't feel like it's so graphic as honest. Yeah. Much like Tatan. But I do think it is very graphic. And especially sexuality, you can't really get around it. But again, it is filmed in a way that honestly is not overly graphically sexual. It's just there's a lot of violence associated and a lot of psychological awfulness. Like just torture almost. The psychological trauma is a lot to handle. So I would definitely give a trigger warning for anybody who, especially with self-harm, yeah, with sexual assault, with familial assault, anything like that. Like, it is a lot, but it is such an interesting look at someone's psyche and their psychological trauma. And it's such an interesting look at this very, I don't want to say disturbed, I want to say distraught individual. Because, like, I do think in the weirdest way possible, this experience does help her process trauma that she has not processed for a very long time. It's almost cathartic. And I, but I don't like that that's what it is. But I do think it does release her of tension and anxiety and trauma and repression that she's been holding on to. For me, uh, you know, it's a big thing for me. I will agree. I think if you are a film lover and if you appreciate the art of acting, I absolutely recommend this movie to someone. I personally would not rewatch it over and over again. I did watch it two times for this podcast. I could see myself watching it in the future eventually. I think it is a rough movie. I think even though it's not pornographic, in nature because of the way Hanukkah is very careful about the way he films the sexual interactions between this character because the acting is so good and the subtext is so rich it is very believable even if you're not directly seeing the penetration happen yes and that was very hard the self-mutilation scene was very hard to me because once again it's not a horror movie it's not gory it's a very realistic graphic it's disturbing yeah it's disturbing but you know we gotta watch the out there ones did you have ratings for this one i did so britney personal rating i gave it 8.5 it's a great movie i think once again hubba is incredible she's the acting is incredible i really like the direction i think it's really the rewatchability factor is probably why i didn't give it closer to a nine i still i i if you're a film lover i would absolutely recommend this movie i unfortunately cannot recommend it to just anybody though i did nine out of ten i almost did 9.5 out of ten and then i was like the rewatchability kept me from giving it like a 9.5 i just it's so good and there's so much to talk about and I don't know. Yeah. It's almost like Parasite where there's just so much to talk about. But Parasite's much more enjoyable. 
But I just love watching this movie, and the more I hear Isabelle Huppert talk about it, the more I'm just like, God, it's such a fucking good movie. But did you have a Grindhouse Girls rating for it, too? I did, yeah. So I uh, rated it T for Tears tissues and the twilight of the mind oh okay yep i like the tissues being snuck in there Mm -hmm. absolutely i did rated s for shattered glass and shattered psyches Oh, I like both of them for different reasons i almost did schubert schumann and shattered glass but i thought it was too long Uh, i like them both for different reasons so but next week brick gets to pick i do so yeah so we that's officially concludes our episode on the piano teacher once again please watch on hbo max or the criterion channel it's a great movie if you guys love character performances are just really um psychological kind of get inside your brain type films but since it is my pick um we are going to do the 2015 movie of we are still here which features the lovely hard goddess barbara crampton so yeah and it's a a shorter little movie it's an hour and 24 minutes Mm -hmm. we watched it a couple months ago though and i was actually pretty scared (laughs) during Oh, good. It's been one on my list for a long time. I haven't actually watched it yet. Yeah. So I'm excited. So We Are Still Here is on Amazon Prime. And maybe also Tubi, you said? Yeah, I think that's according to mine. Yeah, it's on Tubi too. Okay, so you can watch it several places. Mm-hmm. Tubi's completely free too. That's a great place to watch them. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting for sure. So yeah, I guess with that, we should get ready to uh, wrap up and start saying our goodnights because of course uh, 6 a.m. is going to come very early. So, but yeah, so thank you guys for listening, for watching, for liking, listening, subscribing, sharing. We love you guys. You guys are awesome. Be careful out there. Life is scary. If you can donate to some great causes like the Ukrainian effort, that would be amazing. Also, people's rights are being taken away from them. Let's not have that happen. If we can, let's try to reverse that. But remember, there was a time when Roe v. Wade didn't exist and then it existed. So, We can always undo stuff. That's kind of the beauty of the American system is nothing is permanent. Interpretation of the law does happen and it may not happen immediately, but you can overturn stuff and you can always sue them again. Yeah. For certain things. I love you guys. We love you guys. Be good to your fur babies. And if you have real babies or human babies, (laughs) I shouldn't say real babies, they're real babies, but hug everybody tight. Be good to one another. Take your vitamins. Wash your hands. There might be another COVID variation coming. I think they're calling it stealth Omicron, which is, oh my God, it's fucking hilarious that they're calling it that. It's not hilarious that it's coming. I'm just saying like, so there might be another booster, but just pay attention, stay vigilant. And it's tornado season. So, and hur- I don't know if it's hurricane season, but it's definitely tornado season. Be careful. Have your alerts on and be safe and watch some good movies and be good to everybody. And I can't remember what else I usually say or if there's anything else I should have said, but I love you guys and I'm thankful. Thanks as always, like Katie said, for the likes, the comments, the subscribes, the new listeners. Hello. We hope you're doing out there well out there in tv land as they used to say i hope you do something nice for yourself yes if you have money donating to ukraine is wonderful or just doing nice doing something nice in your community yeah if you just want to do something nice in your your community community. yeah it it, it does make a difference guys there's you know you won't believe how many people actually need help everywhere 
all over the world. So yeah, and you know, if you don't have money, um, you can always walk a dog at your, your local shelter. There's so much you can do that doesn't involve money if you just don't have the money, which let's be honest, that's epidemic too. Gas is really expensive. Living, yeah. living, uh, food, groceries, it's really expensive. So we get it. Just be kind. That's why I always say kindness is free. At the end of the day, just be kind to one another. Take care of yourselves and each other. Do something nice for yourself today. If it's a bubble bath, if it's singing your favorite song, give yourself a mental break. So yeah, guys we love you here's a reminder drink your water and as always we just look forward to seeing you um, next time saying spooky place saying spooky channel stay spooky y'all bye Grindhouse Girls Podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Britt Ray. Our editor is N.R. Moody. All music used is royalty-free and can be found in our annotations. You can follow us on all of our socials. And if you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hey, our email is contactus at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening.